Welcome everyone to episode 40 of Down to Play. I'm your host, Dapper Tux, along with Next Gen Player. For this show, we'll be reviewing Scott Pilgrim vs. The World Complete Edition. Plus, Next Gen Player is reviewing Little Nightmares 2 and Werewolf the Apocalypse Earthblood. And finally, I'll be wrapping things up with this episode with my full review of Spirit of the North Enhanced Edition on PS5. Before we start, I'd just like to give a special thanks to game publishers for providing copies of the games. Alright, it's time to head to Toronto to say hello to Scott Pilgrim and the gang. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, the game, the complete edition, is a re-release of the celebration of the 10-year anniversary, and it includes Knives, Chow, and Wallace Wells downloadable content. It was released in January 2021 for PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, Stadia, and PC. It's also playable on PS5 and Xbox Series X and S through backward compatibility. Scott Pilgrim is a 2D arcade-style beat-em-up classic inspired by the iconic graphic novel series and the 2010 Universal Pictures film. In the game, you play as beloved characters Scott Pilgrim, Ramona Flowers, Stephen Stills, and more. As you set out to defeat Ramona's League of Evil Exes and try to win her heart. Next Gen, what did you enjoy about this re-release of Scott Pilgrim, the complete edition? Well, it was cool to actually revisit this game after so long because... You know, I played it when it first released, and then at some point, I think it was just in the last few years, it got delisted from from the the like you know the PlayStation and Xbox Store. Yet another argument for why we should try to keep uh, games physical as much as possible. <laughs> Physi- physical media is the best. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm to- a di- I'm a dying breed though with that opinion. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think you know, I, like you know I heard it was because of the licenses they expired that tends to happen a lot in games that are licensed like this, but it's yeah. cool that, that Ubisoft, you know, came back and re-released this game. It's definitely like a really, really cool beat-em-up game. Definitely near and dear to my heart, I'm sure, with your with you too, because it's Toronto, which is where we're from. So we're, um, you know, we had a chance to sort of like re- revisit. Right down to the street lamps. Like, obviously you saw TTC, uh, the public transportation buses, right down to the color and the street lamps, like the 8-bit rendition. It looks like the the street lamps outside of my house that are, like, iconically Toronto. But, yeah, I, I love that. It's got me all, all sorts of Toronto nostalgia going on. So, yeah, extra brownie points with me, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. So the like, the first thing that I really liked about this game, I liked it back when it released, and obviously I like this version as well, is the presentation. Like, the presentation is just so amazing. I sort of fell in love with the game all over again when I was playing it this time. Um, mainly because I would say I love the chip tune in this game. Like the, the soundtrack is just so awesome. It's uh, produced by Anna Gucci, And then also like the 8-bit animations by Paul Robertson. And of course, I absolutely love the retro cutscenes, which are from Brian Lee O'Malley, who is the creator of Scott Pilgrim vs. The World uh the graphic novel series so just you know going back and just seeing those awesome cutscenes, those cool characters like really awesome animations that just all really clicked for me and you know i was super excited and as we mentioned like the game is uh taking place in toronto so the fact that you actually can see the ttc and the cn tower and the overhead map is uh is basically toronto they're they have like funny names for iconic uh locations in, in toronto yeah, that's kind of it's kind of funny because like I guess if you're not from Toronto, you wouldn't really know what the real names of these buildings and locations are. But as someone that's from Toronto, we can kind of get a kick out of seeing all these, you know, these funny variations of things that we we know and have visited. Um, but I also like too. I mean, the, the the funny thing 
uh, or the cool thing about this really is just I love all the different nods to all these other games. Like the overhead map is basically like, you know, a replication of Super Mario World 3, which, you know, it's one of the best Mario games of all time. And I grew up with that game. So just having a chance to, to sort of like revisit that experience was really awesome. Like the second thing I loved about the game is the the retro style beat em up gameplay. So I like I grew up with games like you know like Final Fight and Double Dragon and and uh, you know games like that. And, th- and this is this is like totally on par for that. It's yeah it's a Nin- Ninja Turtles Back in Time was that the full title? Oh man, I remember that on the NES. My cousins oh, yeah. and I passing the controller. Yeah, I, I love I love how this game takes on that aesthetic so many warm and fuzzy memories <laughs> yeah like it actually like the the graphics remind me so much of river city ransom i don't know if you played that one but that's like that's yeah. that's a game where you have like sort of like short stubby characters like in this and like i don't know just the way combat um, and when you think of, of games too like streets of rage 4 they just recently you know brought back that that beat em up and man that was so well done too so i don't know i'm i'm really liking these you know like the comeback of these these beat-em-ups they're they're just so much fun sometimes it's fun to just mash buttons and and let that that rage come through the controller let the rage flow through you onto the 8-bit screen <laughs> oh totally it's, it's fun well the one thing that i noticed with this game too and same goes for for like the original version that i was playing is that like it just sort of like clicked when i when i started to play it i was like man i need to find a, a second player because I was playing the game solo for probably about the first hour or so, and I was having like okay fun, but then I realized that this game has online play, so I went online. I was playing with a few randos. I don't know um, like if you had a chance to play local co-op, but playing with, with a few random players, it just the game is just so much better when you're playing in co-op. The thing that I like about the co-op in this game too is you can revive each other, right? And that, like I'm going to, I'll get into it a little bit later in my review here, but like this game is hard like it is it is (laughs) punishing cruel it is like absolutely soul crushing how hard this game can be um like you know i never played the original like full disclosure here and and you you remember i dm'd you i'm just like paul what am i doing wrong here i'm getting my my rear end handed to me and you're just like okay well here's some tips and you helped me out but yeah i wasn't expecting it you know when you go in and it's something that is a uh, something that's based on a on a on a license like a graphic novel or a movie. You're thinking, okay, it's probably just to appeal to the masses. It's not going to be that much of a difficult game because hardcore gaming audience they they might want to have more of a broader appeal. But here is no no this this game this game's for the hardcore. It'll kick your butt. It'll kick it good. <laughs> yeah, well, like the one thing that you, that you probably don't realize when when you play it. I mean, I didn't realize this for you know a little while into the the game when I first played it, but this the game is actually pretty much an RPG, right? In terms in terms of like you level up your characters, you gain new abilities, yeah. you gain uh, like better attack power, better defense. You you can get uh, like you can increase your movement speed. So that's the thing. Like the game just absolutely beats you down for the first little while until you actually level up. And then the other thing too that that you have to like really you know pay attention to in this game is that. There's a whole bunch of hidden shops, right? Like, that's one of the cool things about it as well. Like, you just sort of, like, you see a shop that looks like it's a regular background in, in a 2D brawler, but then you get close to the door and the door opens and you go inside. You're like, oh, okay. Like, I, I, I didn't know I can buy stuff like this. It's cool. And then, like, and then you buy things that just power your character up, right? So, yeah. like, I remembered some of that. So I actually went and, and I went to, like, a few of the shops and I 
I powered my character up like relatively early in the game, um, but uh, which made it like you know significantly easier compared to what it what it would have been. But um, but yeah, so like it's totally like a full on RPG game, <laughs> which is which is like interesting and unusual for this type of game. But the last thing that I wanted to mention that's that's a really big highlight to me. This really like should come to no surprise is that the game is just humorous off the charts, right? Like the movie is is hilarious. This game based on the movie is just as funny. Like it's the thing I like is, is like, you know, the, the X the X's when you like the the League of Seven Evil X's that you <laughs> that you encounter. Yeah. The the boss fights themselves are funny. I love the, the the sort of like dramatic reveal of the X's and then you have like this like really awesome like portrait uh, graphic that shows up where it's like it shows Scott Pilgrim with like you know the versus symbol between them right just like really setting up the stage for this epic battle so that's that's like that's already fun and funny but what i found like so interesting with this game is just all the different easter eggs and the nods it, it, it there's just like there's so many that you can literally spend hours like counting them all. I think I actually had a, a quick look because I was I was really curious. I had a quick look just before the podcast to find out how many Easter eggs are in this game. And it looks like there's at least a hundred, if not more, right? So there's things like, for example, like one of the characters, Kim Pine, she flies off on a warp star, which is exactly like what Kirby rides in, in the Kirby series. And then Scott Pilgrim, he could do like a Ryu Hurricane kick from Street Fighter, right? The character selection screen, it's it's the same as Super Mario Brothers 2, right? The recycle bins in the game have the Triforce symbol on them. And just like and so on and so on and so on. They're they're yeah. like like there's there's nods to Toronto, there's nods to Scott Pilgrim, there's nods to like vintage retro gaming. It's just an incredible love letter, especially to yeah, Canadians and Torontonians especially, but also to the the greater gaming community at large, which which I really love and found super charming about the game. Yeah, and the thing that I liked about it as well is like a lot of the games that are referenced in this, they were released on the NES. So like I don't think younger players would really get a lot of them because they probably haven't even heard or played some of these games. But like as an example, yeah. there was one shop that I went into and they were selling a bionic arm right and i like <laughs> yeah. i immediately recognized that i was like bionic commando yeah. like this is bionic Com like th to me it just like the heartstring was going i was like this is awesome like i love bionic commando so um so yeah it's kind of like i kind of got like super happy but then super sad because i was like oh like gamers that are that are young that are are playing this like they're gonna have no idea i, I need to like i want to like explain to them how great these games are <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, like those were my highlights overall. Like, what about you? What are some things that really stood out for you in this game? I haven't played it before, but it instantly resonated for me because it's the classic beat em up and it's like this gathering of all these incredible memories from the NES 8 bit era, whether you're talking about Ninja Turtles, uh, Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, or Double Dragon, or Streets of Rage. Uh, it's got that classic gameplay that only gets better when playing with friends. So it tugged on my heartstrings, uh, played with that nostalgia factor for me. And I love how the combat, and Next Gen, you had mentioned this before, has RPG elements that can be leveled up as you play. And, you know, going through the game, you can bulk up your character for more playthroughs and continue to unlock things. And it also rewards you for exploring. And we talked about that, how there's certain 
little throwbacks to Toronto, like famous Toronto restaurants or bars and things like that, like Sneaky D's, for example. I can't remember the name that they called it uh, within the game, but it's definitely in there. And again, as a Toronto boy, I, I absolutely just loved all these all these little references to a, a city that I just love so very much. The presentation as well, it just simply bleeds cool. It's got all these inside jokes that even if you're not on the inside of or inside on, you still feel like you still still feel like you're part of it. And uh, again, back to the repping repping the hometown of Toronto, it did it so well. It adapted the city into uh, an eight bit form incredibly well with so many nods to the city. I love finding those Easter eggs even through the graphics. Uh, they're they're more simplified, but Ubisoft didn't skimp on the background detail. Uh, I know a few times there was a couple of assets uh, with enemies that were recycled, but I don't think I saw many, if any, background assets reused. Everything was just so detailed from animations, characters having snowballs, uh, snowball fights in the background. Um, it was it was just marvelous to look at, even just in a, in a simplified 8-bit form. I also love how the source material has been employed within the game. So I am a fan of Scott Pilgrim. I don't know why I skipped out on this game uh, in the Xbox 360 era. Lots to play back then, but man, I'm happy I made time with it and experienced it for the first time with, with Dapper Jr. Uh, but this is one of the best licensed video games, I would say, of all time with just how much fun it is, how it brings gaming into a nostalgic gaming um, and even Toronto all under this like really fun roof. Although the story isn't as detailed as what you'll find in the comics, it holds up along with accurate character portrayals, visuals, and you know even some of reflective of the skills that uh, some of the characters will have in the uh, in the graphic novel. But that that kind of wraps things up for for my likes. Um, pretty straightforward for me. Uh, Next gen, what were some things that you uh, you disliked about the game? Well, I was kind of laughing there with your with your laugh pointing, like laughing in, in my head just a little bit because you were you were mentioning it's like one of the best. Uh, licensed video games and I've been like man the bar's so low for <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know it, no that, that's you're totally that right would, though like you're absolutely it, that, right that, that could it, this is like accolades page for <laughs> for this game really easily but yeah the bar when you look at back at some of the games that are out there yeah the bar <laughs> is really really low but hey don't let that discourage you this is a great game it's just unfortunate that yeah there is so many really not so great games that carry licenses from from films but hey i mean goldeneye goldeneye from the n64 there's a classic gaming oh, license sh- oh, so you for know sure. scott oh, for pilgrims sure. uh, scott pilgrims up there but uh, I, yeah. and i would say like like you know at least recently the licensed games have been getting a little bit better yeah than, than what i remember in like you know the 360 and, and ps3 era but well, not even that and not not like the those et the the major nelson unearthing of all those et cartridges in new mexico where the game sold so poorly and horribly they just dumped thousands of those thousands of cartridges but uh yeah oh totally well alien isolation that was one of the the better ones as well too right oh yeah that was so good i i could do i could do a podcast i it's funny you mentioned that i was thinking about that game i don't know why a couple weeks ago but alien isolation lives rent free in my mind forever i i just that game was just such an unexpected thrill ride with that carried the aliens franchise but maybe we'll do like a halloween episode uh uh, this year with with our favorite scary games or favorite uh thrilling games and man alien isolation i'm just sad there hasn't been another one yet so anyway though next gen uh, (laughs) i'll pull us back to uh, scott pilgrim uh what were some of the uh the, the dislikes that you had around the game yeah, so the first one I sort of touched on when I was talking about the things that that I liked, which was which was the combat. But 
the thing that that really got to me is the fact that you are just so weak when you begin the game right so yeah. that like that's definitely a downside to me the thing is like okay i grew up with these types of games i played double dragon i played final fight i played streets of rage those games were very battle hard battle toad oh battle toads was like was like almost <laughs> impossibly insane. hard that I, I i eventually beat battle toads um after i think a couple of years on the on the uh -huh. NES, on the nes and then i ended up beating it for uh for rare replay but that's only because they had the replay feature i was like oh this is great yeah. but um but it's just like like the, it's it's really different when you compare this game to say like final fight or or double dragon like in double dragon you basically like you you begin the game as powerful as you're ever going to be and so you just have to sort of like you know memorize the the enemy patterns and like where they come out on the levels and stuff like this but this game is an RPG, right? So you, you almost have to go into the game sort of like how you go into a Final Fantasy game where it's like you you fight a boss that is 10 levels above you and the boss just wipes your team out. And then you're like, oh, do I have to grind for a bit? Right? Do yeah. I have to like... Cause you, and like you literally do. Like you have to... You, you, can, you can grind to gain levels. You can defeat enemies to gain coins and you can cash in those coins to upgrade your character. So it's like, I would say the combat got really fun, but that would have been after maybe about the two hour mark, the first couple hours in the game, really frustrating for me. And then the other thing that this is, this is just like, uh, I, I'm not even sure like why this wasn't fixed, but, um, but the other thing that, that is like definitely a downside for me is the hit detection. So it, I would say maybe like as much as like 15, 20% of my attacks, they basically look like they should have hit, but they don't actually hit. So I'm like, I'm sitting there like I'm, I'm punching like some guy in the face, right? Like my, my fist is literally the pixels of my fist are touching their face, but I'm not connecting. So I don't know what is it. like, I, I, I have to go back to the original game to see if that was a problem with the original game. I, I guess it would have been. But, yeah, um, and, and you're right though, because like if if you miss hit someone or or it doesn't land and it should land, there are enemies, especially like later on in later stages, they'll just combo you and it's it's kind of done. But yeah, I found I was I was punished for that too, and yeah, the hit detection was off for sure. Yeah, like and but that's the thing, like in a fighting game, that has to be like pixel precision, right? Yeah. So so that's like. Um, again, like you could just level yourself up and, and then you sort of become OP. So then like, you know, the miss hit detections. So eventually I cared a lot less about hit, hit detection, but like the one, two whammy of being like under leveled and then, you know, missing hits was like really punishing at the beginning. So be, be prepared for like a bit of a slog for the first hour or two. And that's, that's it. So what about you? What are some things that perhaps took away from the game? Yeah, for, for my dislikes, um, a lot of it was character movement. So I guess you can also chalk that up a little bit uh, with some hit detection. But the character movement I found was quite slow and a little bit cumbersome. It would be cool if they, they sped things up a little bit. But uh, I know a lot of games kind of follow that aesthetic, which they were trying to copy, like we mentioned before, with uh, something like Double Dragon. But it would be really nice that if, you know, you're walking from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen. I loved admiring the background, but sometimes it took a little bit of time to go from, from left to right, more time than I'd like. Graphics, they didn't really see a massive upgrade, but 
part of that was the pixelated aesthetic and that always ages incredibly well. So I wasn't exactly expecting, you know, Scott Pilgrim 3D on a 2D background. Um, but again, the, the upgrades that they did looked, looked great. And uh, taking that minus, maybe potentially pulling it into a plus, if I think if Ubisoft did take too much of this and they changed, changed it up, it would get away from the original um, and people might dislike it. But again, and finally, the game tries to introduce platforming elements. And this is, you know, a problem I also heard that was an issue with the original release, but they just didn't. It didn't work when you had to follow like a really, really narrow path all of a sudden in the middle of the game, or even when there was big, big holes that you could drop down in the middle of it. It wasn't the controls were not conducive to needing some, you know, pinpoint path following at, at points in the game and certain levels. So it just didn't work for me. And I it, it frustrated me instead of added, you know, that that fun challenge. Uh, but uh, that that wraps things up for my my dislikes. Uh, next gen, if you had to uh, give the game a score out of 10, which we always do, what would you give uh, Scott Pilgrim uh, the complete edition? I don't know if I've ever done this before, but I was actually like when I was thinking about the score, I thought, you know what? I think for the first, like, maybe two or three hours of the game, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. And then after I got leveled up and became a little OP, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. So those were my, I had, like, sort of, like, two scores, a 7 or the 8. And I was like, you know what? I'll just average those two. So I'm going to give this game a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, my score comes in pretty close to yours. Uh, I went I went with an 8 out of 10. Uh, again, I think there's some uh, bonus Toronto Brownie points in there. But in terms of the gameplay, uh, what it offered... Uh, how how well you know the combat felt and the fact that Ubisoft really didn't shy away from making it a challenging game, although it was a licensed one. And you know, big points to Scott Bill Scott Pilgrim's uh, creators as well, because I'm sure they could have just said, oh, you know, let's just make a game that a lot of people will buy based under the license, keep it simple, keep it easy breezy. Instead, they offered something that uh, it's a classic. It's something that's that's challenging. It harkens back to a lot of uh, classic 8-bit uh, gameplay elements. And uh, moving on, though, we're going to uh, step uh, step away from the the 8-bit uh, beat 'em up that is Scott Pilgrim and look at Little Nightmares 2. Uh, so Next Gen's going to handle this review, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll set the table for us here. So Little Nightmares 2 sets you on a beautifully dreamlike journey into the macabre horrors of Pale City, a cinematic landscape filled with grotesque monsters, puzzle solving, and dark mysteries. The game is developed by Sweden-based Tarsier Studios and published by Bandai Namco. It's available now on PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and PC. And while it plays better on PS5 or Xbox Series X, a dedicated new-gen version is set for release later in 2021. Uh, next gen, take us through your nightmares here. What uh, what did you <laughs> what did you like about Little Nightmares 2? Well, this was one that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Like anyone who's played Little Nightmares, that was definitely one of the best. It might even be my absolute favorite indie horror game of all time. Right? Like there's there's a, a bunch out there like Limbo and Inside and all that, but Little Nightmare, the original game, was just so, so good. The thing that I liked so much about that game is the aesthetic, right? So it's a horror game, but it's like, it's got an aesthetic that no other game has, right? And it's it's like, really like, kind of like, almost like a dreamlike environment, I would I would say, but like, but a, like a horror dreamlike environment. And, but the, the like the big you know, the thing that sort of, like, cinches the game for me is these, like, crazy bosses that you fight, right? They are, like, 
they're like horrendously grotesque they've got like you know deformed faces deformed bodies that they can do things like they can stretch their limbs and, and contort their bodies in like really horrific ways right so in the first game you play as a little girl um her name is six and she's on this underwater resort called the maw uh now in the sequel you actually play as a brand new protagonist it's this little boy his name is mono and he has a bag over his head so already this is the thing i like about the original game and this is what i love about this like they there's just so much story to these games and yet there's no real cutscenes and there's no real dialogue the whole story really plays in your head where you're trying to figure out like what is pale city where like what is this crazy crazy place why do characters have bags on their head why you know in the original game like you, you find out that uh that six is perhaps not as human as you originally thought and so in this game you know you eventually get to meet up with six and the whole rest of the game is played sort of almost like in a co-op but it, but obviously six is, is an ai character but she helps you out so she'll like you know you can jump through through um or jump across pits and she'll sort of grab you and she'll help you push objects and all that so really 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 awesome um aesthetics and 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 like i love the storytelling in this game and i would say that you know little nightmares 2 expands on the original game significantly because as I mentioned, the first game takes place in the Maw. This one takes place in a, in a place called Pale City, which is significantly larger. And it's sort of like you're, you're now outside this boat, and now you can actually see what this little nightmare's world is really all about. And it's definitely a place that you don't want to visit. Like, it is, it is, like, it is the stuff of nightmares, right? So you'll, you'll see, like, uh, yeah, like I said, like, you know, like, like crazy bosses and you'll you'll fight enemies like little kids that have um almost like their heads hollowed out which is super weird and you'll go to a hospital and and like face off against really creepy mannequins and oh geez it's it's just like it's a terrifying and, and dreadful game but i would say like this this game is like braver and bolder it's not afraid to shake up the formula of the original game bosses are even bigger and badder um they they're the grosser and more terrifying so like some of the bosses there's i won't get into too much but there's like there's a, a hunter that you have to face and then there's like this evil doctor that you have to fight uh face off against and then there's this teacher which is just really one of the worst in the in the whole series um but kind of like worse in, in a good way too like they're just so memorable i'm never gonna forget these boss battle uh fights so that was definitely the, the first thing that the second thing that i love is just like the audio visual step up from this game compared to the first is very noticeable like environments are just bigger there's more depth there's more there's more detail you just get to see like a lot more haunting things in the background that just really like creep you out um and i just you know i love all the attention to detail in this game i would say like you know the environments are are they're not quite open world, but they're they're definitely semi open world. Like there's there's certain uh, like you might visit uh, like a school that that has multiple hallways and and like staircases that you have to climb and all that stuff. So there is like a little bit more exploration in this game, which is cool. But just like the first game, and I think it's even better than this. Like the audio is just exceptional because like you have to play this game with headphones on for sure. Uh, the thing is like 
all of these bosses and a lot of the regular enemies that you face, they make really, really awful noises, right? Like the, 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 the teacher will like, she'll, she writes on a chalkboard, but she writes like she's almost punching the chalkboard. Like she's, she's like slamming her fist as hard as she can. So the thing is like, before you meet her and, the, and before you meet all the bosses, you hear them, right? So you hear, like, you just imagine like hearing someone like, you know, violently banging on something and you have no idea what it is. Like you don't want to go to the next door because you're going to get like one room closer to these monsters, but you have to, because you have no choice. Right. So it's just like, yeah, it, the, the audio just sort of puts you on edge and, and, and really makes you fear progressing in the game. Um, and then the last thing I sort of touched on this earlier, but I just want to like emphasize like, the story is just so thought provoking with this game. There, there's so many things like, for example, in the very beginning of the game, mono pops out of a TV set. Right. And you're like, well, why is he coming out of a TV set? What does that have to do? And then you'll notice as you go through, it's like the characters of pale city, like the regular inhabitants, they sort of like, they stare blankly at these TV sets. So you almost get the sense that like, these TVs are like, somehow controlling them but maybe also like corrupting them and and maybe even turning them into these monsters right so there's just like there's so many things that you have to think about you sort of like later on in the game you you kind of figure out why mono has that paper bag on his head and that brings up a lot more questions than answers because yeah it's just there's just a lot of depth behind that character and then also there, there's some character progression that happens with Six, who is the protagonist of the first game. So literally even today, I beat this game, you know, a little while ago now, but even, even today, days, weeks later, like I'm still thinking about this game. Like I want, I, if you actually go online, I, I was on like uh, on Reset Era and checking out a few YouTube videos, but if you just like go online and just do a, a search for, for like Little Nightmares 2 theories, right? Or like Ending Explained, you will see like an endless list of like people, you know, guessing what has happened in this game. And, uh, and there's just like, there's just so much to you to think about and talk about. So um, yeah, storyline is just like, it's just off the charts. Good. Now I want to get into like, there are a few things like any game that, that, you know, sort of take away from the experience. And there's, there's definitely a, a few in this as well. So I just want to quickly touch on some things that I thought perhaps, you know, I didn't like, or could have been improved. First one is, the combat so they actually the first game didn't really have combat this one has combat and essentially like mono can pick up these objects like there might be a lead pipe on the ground that he can pick up but the thing is is that he is like such a young boy and these lead pipes are basically like as big as him and so he can barely even pick up the weapons like it think about it and like they're so heavy when he walks, he has to drag whatever weapon on the ground, right? And so when he has to swing to hit an enemy, he has to like really put all its effort into it. Probably takes like a second or two to attack, right? And like, that's a long time. You know, think about like a regular game attack happens like in a fraction of a second. This one might take a couple of seconds. And, and so like, but the thing is like, if you miss an enemy, it might take him like a second or two to sort of like readjust his weapon 
and then another couple of seconds from the swing it again. So you're talking like three, four seconds of like utter helplessness, and you pretty much die every time. Like it, it's, I can't tell you. Like it's, it was so frustrating. I think I, I might have like overall, if I think back, I might have died, you know, twenty times or twenty five times in in this game. And I would say like twenty of them would have been the combat. <laughs> like it was just, I just kept on getting unlucky. Like I just. The, the thing is, too, is, like, it was sometimes a little bit hard to gauge exactly where the enemy was. So, like, it, I might have missed the enemy by, like, a pixel or two, and then suddenly, like, he kills me and I'm dead. And the other thing, too, is, like, the enemies are so jumpy. So it's kind of like an enemy will rush at you to attack, but then they realize that you're going to attack them first. So then they jump backwards, but then you swing and you miss because they jump backwards, and then they just kill you. So, yeah. Like I, I get the idea behind the combat. The combat was there to make the game more tense and, and make th those moments feel more tense, but they really were not fun. Like it, it, it just wasn't fun. So like, <laughs> I don't appreciate the extra tense. I don't. I, I, if it were up to me, I'd just kind of like strike those moments entirely from the game. Um, I would say that the uh, there was awkward camera angles as well during the chase scenes or, or combat. So there was like there there's a bunch of chase scenes where where like you're running away from the bosses or like regular enemies. More than likely, it was the bosses. Like pretty much all of them had at least like one major chase scene, and and I just found like the chase scenes happen so fast, and you and you're like you're used to sort of just walking around at a slow pace, but now you've got to like you got to hit your run button. But I just noticed that there like it just was kind of hard to gauge. Um, like where platforms were and like how far away I was from them so I would say like there was like the odd time that I just sort of like I died during these chase scenes and I was like I don't really think it was really me that I think it I think it was more of, of just like I don't know like it was, it was just hard to sort of like perceptually see um, like where I needed to jump to hit the next platform or whatever so that kind of was a was like a, a minor downside to me and then the other thing too is that some of the puzzles in the game were just sort of like you just had to like grunt force your way through them there was a lot of trial and error with it right so you sort of like you get into a room there's nothing that really stands out that you know you're like oh okay like i gotta do this right i have to like move this or push this or grab that and so like there was probably at least two or three times in the game where i just have no idea like i just don't know what i'm what i need to do next and so you just spend like five or ten minutes just doing random things. Like you, you, I picked up everything in the room and smashed it in case there was like a key hiding in some of the, the items or like, I don't know, like I, I jumped on everything in case there was like a lever somewhere. So I just think like, it wasn't like, it wasn't all the puzzles, but definitely some of the puzzles were just not all that intuitive as to what you had to do and sort of the trial and error aspects, again, were just not super fun. Like I just, I would have liked to have you know to been able to really figure out the solutions earlier and progress further in the game faster so those are the things that that i didn't like about the game but i have to say like overall they're kind of minor gripes because the positives that i mentioned are like extreme positives and i would say this is better than the first game the first game was already as i said like pretty much the best indie horror game i've ever played so overall i'm going to give little nightmares 2 a 9 out of 10 it is absolutely amazing and must play.
Oh, fantastic. I'm going to definitely have to check that one uh, out in the future with that glowing review. Uh, next up, we're going to take a look at Werewolves the Apocalypse Earthblood. And again, Next Gen is going to go solo on this one. The game is an action role player developed by France-based Cyanide and published by Nacon, the publisher housing responsible for the WRC race series and the upcoming Lord of the Rings Golem game. The game itself is out now on PC, PS5, PS4, Xbox Series X, and Xbox One. Uh, Next Gen, take it away. Uh, hopefully you're not turning into a werewolf as you're doing this review let's hear what you got what did you like about the game it's funny with this one because i don't know i, I guess i tend to play a bunch of games that people just don't know a lot about because this, this was one game that i was tweeting some like photos and, and some gameplay videos on on twitter and and like i did some streaming for this game and people were just like what is this like i i haven't even heard of this game so it's it's really funny because this game got announced a few years ago and I didn't think it was like super high profile, but I thought it was at least like high profile enough that people would have known about it, but I guess not. So it was really cool to sort of like have a chance to play through this game and figure it out like what it is. Um, first thing that I liked about it was I thought the story definitely was interesting and there was some promise to it. Um, this is actually the very first game that I played that is set in the World of Darkness series. So anyone who played vampire the masquerade that there's actually the sequel that uh that xbox was promoting for xbox series x that actually game just got uh, delayed in, indefinitely unfortunately because yeah, they, they switched they... developers completely that's uh fairly unprecedented like well i guess it's happened before but uh yeah that that's that's quite a bit of a shocker in terms of uh news around a game not not a, not a good indication either yeah, so so Werewolf the Apocalypse is in the same world as Vampire the Masquerade, and that world is called the World of Darkness. So this was really I didn't actually play Vampire the Masquerade. I think I have to. It feels like uh, like one of those games that I just like I should have played, but didn't. Um, but actually, the World of Darkness is a tabletop role playing game series that began in 1991, and of course I haven't played that either. So really had no idea about what this game is or what this world is. So. I was really, really interested and and I like the fact that there seems to be a lot of depth into this world. So I can't really wait to play more World of Darkness games. But this game in particular uh, centers on a werewolf named Kahal. And he is like basically like an eco-terrorist werewolf um, that gets banished by his tribe. So in the beginning, he just, um, he basically like can't control his rage. And he ends up killing somebody from his own wolf pack. And so he's sort of like, I, th I don't think the, like, the, the tribe really banishes him. He sort of like banishes himself. He's like, I can't believe I did this. So he goes into exile for about five years and then he comes back and he tried like, it's, it's sort of like almost like a, um, like a redemption story. So it's him like coming back to his wolf tribe and trying to prove himself again that he can be like a, you know, a valuable contributing member to this to this wolf pack so and then he as i mentioned he's an echo terrorist and the like the antagonist in this game is this co corporation called endron which is uh, basically like an organization that that is polluting the world and of course endron is a play on enron that disgraced energy company <laughs> so what i actually noticed like the first thing i noticed about about this world that's actually super interesting and i almost want to like i guess just, i hope there's books for this because i want to like i want to read more about this and sort of explore it more but there's actually like three entities that sort of like control this world the first is the wild which is like this creative like wild force that that oversees nature 
that's the faction that your werewolf belongs to. And then there's this entity called the, the Weaver. The Weaver basically, like, takes the wild's creativity and sort of, like, organizes it for the Earth, right? Not entirely sure, like, what that means, but sort of, like, I guess it's sort of, like, the order and, and balance in, in the world. That's that's why what, what I took from the game. And then there is this entity called the Worm, and the Worm is this force that sort of breaks down what the wild and the Weaver create, and they sort of, like, break it down for renewal, right? So that's kind of like, uh, you know, like the cycle repeats. But what ends up happening in this game is that the worm just sort of, like, gets all-powerful and is now trying to basically, like, consume the entire Earth. And this Endron company is sort of, like, tapping in and utilizing the power of the worm. So basically, it's like the wild and the werewolves versus Endron and the worm, which is... Again, I think it's just kind of cool. It's cool to think about, right? So you, like, as playing as the, the werewolf, you basically are, like, Earth's protector. So that's why you're out to fight face Endron. You don't want them to pollute the world. It's, it's your job to protect nature. And so you're, like, basically trying to, to just, like, infiltrate this company and get them to, to like, yeah, basically halt all their, their operations. Now, the other thing that I liked about this game is that you can actually play this game stealth, which seems a little weird because you're a werewolf. Like, why would you want to play a, like play stealth, right? Like, wouldn't you want to just go in, like, you know, go all out, rip people to shreds? And <laughs> but you can actually play stealth, and I I actually preferred playing stealth. So I probably played, I would say, like, you know, two thirds or more of the game in stealth. And what's actually really cool is like you can turn into a wolf form, and there are sort of like air vents that you can travel through so you can like you're working your way through these like uh these big facilities where endron has their operations so you can like you can like sneak from room to room through the vents there's also like the, a whole bunch of control rooms that you can sneak to in your wolf form and then you turn to your human form and you can hack the computers and by hacking it you can sort of like weaken the facility so you can do things like you can turn off security cameras to make your stealth easier you can turn off turrets so that combat's a little bit easier you can unlock doors to like open up new passages, new areas, and stuff like that. So um, I I I really liked it. I will say that like, well, the one thing that makes the stealth a little bit easier is the enemies sort of walk in a in a regular pattern. So they just they kind of like walk around a room in the same um, in the same pattern. So you can sort of like like you you can anticipate where they're gonna be and you can move to certain spots to sort of like stealthily take them out, which is which is a lot of fun. But um, but I will say too, and this is I'll get into this sort of in my cons later on. But the AI in this game is rather dumb, so don't like don't expect it's not like Metal Gear class stealth you've got going on here, right? The, the enemies are are it's it's almost to the degree of like it's so bad it's good. Like the enemies are just so so dumb that at first you're like, oh man, like I can't believe how bad the AI is. But then after like a couple of missions, I was like, wait a minute, this is so bad. I'm laughing. Like I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I can, it's so easy to like stealthily kill these guys or like incapacitate them. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like, I, I did enjoy it, but like, it's again, like don't expect a huge challenge. And then the combat, the combat's actually pretty interesting too. So you like, you basically like, if you get detected by the enemies, you could turn to a werewolf you like you basically have like this rage meter that builds up um, when you're fighting and then as you as you build it up you can sort of like go into overdrive and and then you're like almost unstoppable and the other thing that's cool too is that 
you have two forms as a werewolf. So you have like a, a blue form where you are like super agile and you can just like run around the room and, and just like beat the heck out of people. But you have, uh, you're like, you're pretty weak. You have, you have low shields and, and like, yeah, you take a lot of damage. And then you have sort of like this like opposite version where you're like, you're super tanky. You like, you know, double, triple your damage, but you are slow as heck. So you can just sort of like switch between the two. And each of those two forms also have um, special moves that you can unlock. So there's a whole like skill tree in this game. Um, so yeah, it was, it was like, it was really interesting to explore that aspect of the game as well. Getting into things that I didn't like, first thing I have to say is that the dialogue in this game is so cheesy and like unbelievably cheesy. So I mentioned like the story is interesting and I and I, I stand by that. Like I'm totally interested in these characters in, in the world, but like some of the moment to moment cutscenes are just like you're just like shaking your head because the the dialogue is just so bad. Like I'll, I'll give you like a like one small example. I told you Cahal, he did something bad to his tribe. He went away for five years. He comes back and he actually had a daughter that was in the tribe. So he ditched his daughter for five years, right? Comes back and he like, he really wants to meet his daughter so bad. You could tell that he's like, you know, he cares about her all this time. And like, you think it's going to be like this big dramatic meeting. And they just sort of like meet up for, I would say probably about maybe 30 seconds. They... They have like a little bit of small talk. She's like, you know, daddy, I can't believe you ditched me. And he's like, but I love you, daughter. And then she just walks away <laughs> and that's it. And it's like, <laughs> it is like the most anticlimactic reunion of all time. It's just, it is, I, but again, 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 it's, it's, I was kind of laughing too, right? I was just like this, like, this is not well-written content, but it's kind of funny because it's just like, it's just laughably bad sometimes that, the next thing that I, that I thought could have been improved is the combat. As I mentioned, the combat is actually like interesting and fun, but the problem is, is that it gets repetitive so quickly. Like it, it, it is like after I would say like an hour of combat, the game I think took and it take me like somewhere around like eight, nine hours after about an hour of combat. Like I literally seen it all. Like there, there's literally, I think about something like four or five different enemies in the game that I, I faced. Like there was like a regular grunt soldier. There was like this like bigger, beefier version that kind of looked like Bane from Batman. And then there were like drones and like a, like a, like stationary turrets or whatever. But anyways, like every single battle ended up being the exact same thing. What ends up happening is you're in a room, you alert, get a, alerted by an enemy they call in reinforcements. You end up fighting probably about like three or four waves of enemies. They all come in through like, you know, similar looking doors and they all look the same, the same attack patterns and like you have the same attacks. And so, yeah, it's just like I mentioned too about, you know, I played the game mostly in stealth. Well, I would say like, first of all, I actually enjoy the stealth. But secondly, like I actually wanted to go through more of the game in stealth because I thought the combat just was too repetitive. Like I, I didn't want to fight another enemy. I was like this battle. I, I recall this same battle like a hundred times. Um, so, so yeah, I was kind of like testing myself. Like, can I, can I like go through this whole mission without fighting anybody? Because it's just more fun to play this game stealth. The last thing that I have to say about, about this game, the last negative is the production values. Like it, it this is, it's like, I, I basically like, I have to almost, chalk it up as being like a late ps3 360 game like maybe an early ps4 xbox one in terms of like graphics and and audio and all that it, it is like 
it's not a really pretty game. And so what's actually kind of strange is that the intro, so like the the first cutscene that you get is like maybe like a minute or two long. It's actually really good. Like it's really, really good, right? I was like, after watching that, I was like, this game looks really cool. Like I really can't wait to play this game and see all these cutscenes with this high quality. And then it switches to like the actual in-game engine and you're like, whoa, these are character models from like eight years ago. Like what is going on, right? Like these, the, it's like uncanny valley crazy. And, and like the facial movements are like, they don't look realistic at all. Um, and it's just, yeah, basically it's, I, 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 I had fun and I, I had some enjoyment with this game, but if you're looking for like, you know, top of the line, triple A production values, definitely not the game for you. I think like that about wraps up my, my pros and cons with this game like things I like, things I didn't like. Um, overall, again, I will say that I had some fun with this game. It's, it, it's definitely got me interested in this world. I definitely want to check out, you know, Vampire the Masquerade 2 whenever that game drops, like could be years from now, but whenever it drops, but the, the, the drawbacks of this game are pretty significant. So overall, I'm going to give Werewolf the Apocalypse a six out of 10. Cool. All right. Uh, thanks for going through that uh, in such detail for, for myself and for the audience. Uh, next up, I'm going to be taking a look at Spirit of the North Enhanced Edition on the PlayStation 5. So really excited to see this game uh, get remade. Um, again, the PS5 launch lineup was fantastic, but as I saw more titles uh, joining the lineup, I jumped um, at the opportunity to review this one, especially because I know that it's just one of those games that really artistically uh, tends to blur the line um, between video game and you know full full blown art form, uh, Spirit of the North Enhanced Edition is a single player third person adventure game inspired by the landscapes of Iceland. The story takes place uh, from various pieces of Nordic folklore. You play as an ordinary fox whose story becomes intertwined with the guardian of the Northern Lights, a magical spirit fox. Uniquely designed to purposefully have no dialogue or narration, but it does feature a stunning orchestral score, which I absolutely loved. The PS5 version features 4K landscapes, remastered textures, lighting, and objects, all in silky smooth 60 frames per second. Within the game, you solve environmental puzzles to change the world around you using ancient powers bestowed upon you by the Guardian of the Northern Lights. Uh, breaking down a few of the things that I like about the game, again, as I said before, there's games like Flower, much like this one, where uh, a lot less is more. And for me, I love the absolutely minimalistic, beautiful approach that the game takes. It doesn't always hit you over the head with dialogue that uh, the game forces you with certain characters to push you in one direction or another. It's more of a, a softer approach, a softer approach to push you uh, through various parts of the game, which I really loved. It was almost a, a, a relaxing, therapeutic experience playing through this game. Uh, so a big plus of something that uh, I can't believe I'm saying this as a big story buff, but I really enjoyed the lack of dialogue. Uh, you were being strung along with various, um, you know, paths and uh, approaches within the game. And again, you weren't always being being pointed to go in a certain direction. And when it was when you did need to move in a certain direction, you were pointed in such a manner that it was delic delicately done um, through exploration. This game offers a great minimalistic approach with a total lack of dialogue, no HUD or other text. Uh, it encourages natural exploration and a nice relaxing pace as you make your way through the beautiful snowy landscapes. The rich atmospheric world is just a joy to get lost in. I really, really like that. 
Uh, the visual upgrades do look great, but in comparison to the original game's release in 2019, uh, the textures, they look sharp through upscaling, the lighting effects are, are more pronounced, and overall the, amount, the environments are more detailed. But as I mentioned before, and I'll also address this in my cons, is that the game wasn't released that long ago, so I feel that this, this full-blown version might have been able to be achieved through an update as well too. But to get to play it on the on the PS5, um, I was pretty excited for. Um, onto my dislikes with the game. Uh, the visuals look nice, but it would be great to see far more added, especially with so many new hardware features of the PS5 just waiting to be utilized. For example, it would have been great to see some ray tracing implemented. It would have been absolutely stunning in a game like this. A more extensive upgrade could have made this an early showpiece for the PS5. And again, with the, that, that launch window, uh, you know, Sony, Sony really did spoil us, especially when we're talking about ray tracing with games like Miles Morales, uh, the incredible... Uh, use of the DualSense controller uh, with Astro's Playroom. Um, that brings me on. To, that brings me to my next point, though. With this game, uh, the DualSense controller's triggers and haptic feedback really could have been employed a lot better uh, with your character. So after playing through, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, Astro's Playroom, I was a little bit spoiled, but I could see what the controller could do, and I was disappointed to see how little the feedback was used in Spirit of the North. Again, with uh, Astro's Playroom, when you run, ran through water or snow or skated across ice, you felt that that haptic feedback and you felt that that uh, brand new immersion with this incredible controller. Uh, in this game, you're often running through heavy snow uh, as, as your fox character, you're gliding uh, across ice and swimming. The DualSense could have added uh, so much to the game's magical setting in a big, big way. And this was a real missed opportunity. So it was so unfortunate, especially in a game where the developer is really communicating the story beats, uh, the the overall immersion of the game through so many of just, just your senses and not using reading or text. It was just would have been so amazing to have the the dual sense uh better implemented with this so again there are there are rumbles uh don't get me don't get me wrong but uh nothing that goes above and beyond um like you would feel in other ps5 games especially like astro's playroom if you did play the original on the PS4 as well, uh, again, this is a, another minus, uh, the new upgrades are pretty minor. And aside from a bump in the visuals and two new exclusive skins on the PS5, there hasn't been much else added, which is uh, which is a little bit disappointing. It would be great to see a lot more, maybe some, some new levels. Um, some sort of additions. And and finally, there is a real uh, lack of replayability. Once you've finished this game, and the journey is so beautiful your first time around, um, I can't use this as, as too much of a negative, but in terms of those of you that want to come back and replay, there's, there's very few incentives to return. Again, beautiful landscapes. Uh, once you've beaten it once, I don't, I don't feel like there's a, a much of a need, uh, much of a need to return. My overall score for Spirit of the North Enhanced Edition is a 7 out of 10. It's definitely worth a look. I highly recommend it if uh, you haven't played it on the PS4. But uh, if you've played it on the PS4, I really don't think it's uh, it's it's worth a revisit on the PS5 uh, in, its, in its current state. But beautiful game nonetheless. Uh, gets, gets, my full, uh, gets my full thumbs up if it's your first go around uh, for well, a really stunning indie gem. Well, that's game over for this episode. I'm Dapper Tux. And I'm Next Gen Player. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownToPlayCast. You can also catch us on our personal accounts on Twitter and Instagram 
at dapper underscore tux and at next gen player. We are always down to play.